Hello, and welcome to Industry Elites. On this podcast, Industry Elite's very own Natalie and Vicky are going to be interviewing business owners and individuals who have made their mark in their respective industries. Robert Davis was born in Farmington Hills, Michigan. Very academic, with a love for mathematics throughout his education, Robert studied at the University of Michigan, receiving an undergraduate degree as the top third in his class. At the University of Miami School of Medicine, Davis studied to become a practicing MD with internal medicine residency training at University of Nevada, Las Vegas School of Medicine. Dr. Davis spent 10 years as an ER physician as well as a physician for rural communities across the country. At this point, Davis received a unique opportunity and seeing a greater need for his skills beyond medicine made a career shift into investments in strategic partnerships. For over 25 years, Dr. Davis has contributed to the fields of medical technology, oil and gas, pharmaceuticals, artificial intelligence, and beyond. With RD Heritage Group, Dr. Davis focuses his businesses as a hands-on investor providing resources in fundraising, marketing, and international trade, primarily within the private sector. As co-founder of RD Heritage Group, Dr. Davis keeps the company's headquarters in Las Vegas, Nevada, where he has resided for the last 17 years. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Industry Elites. We're really excited to welcome Robert Davis of RD Heritage Group with us today. Robert, how are you doing? I am awesome. You're awesome. Yes, it's Thursday, <laughs> one day until the weekend. As you, as most people that know you know, you probably don't take <laughs> much breaks on your weekends anyway, so you're probably like working seven days a week. <laughs> that, that is correct. But it's not work. It's so, all fun. Oh, there you go. A, a little mix. It's all about that work-life balance. <laughs> so as we like to start off all of our podcasts with our guests, in each stage that we've had the podcast running, we've been in a different stage of COVID. So as you and I have chatted plenty, we've been kind of on that light at the end of the tunnel in terms of how things have been looking. But just in general, how has COVID been treating you and how is Vegas looking these days? Well, Vegas is wide open. Um, I think, uh, you know, COVID's been, I, I'm going to put my doctor hat on, I'm a physician, but uh, <laughs> but COVID's been, been terrible. Uh, you know, uh, too many deaths, too many people that have um, uh, disabilities or uh, comorbidities have passed. But I think the good news is there are multiple vaccines, especially the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, which are the mRNA vaccines, which I think are the most efficacious. We're targeting a very close to 70% vaccination rate here in the US. And you know we're just seeing some really uh, terrific uh, progress uh, you know, our, we're, as I said, we're wide open in, in Vegas. Uh, you know, it's kind of funny because, um, and, and I'm not joking about this, but every year is like New Year's Eve because the, the conventional <laughs> wisdom was that Vegas was going to be devastated. You know, it's a tourist town, similar yeah. to Hawaii, which is a tourist state, and uh, that we're not going to come back for a long time. And in fact, some of the marginal hotels have not reopened. But having said that, there's been this burst this blow up of activity of people just wanting to get out and do things after being locked down for a year, year and a half. And uh, it's just been crazy. To that point, the revenue uh, last month was greater year to year than two years ago. Uh, So 
Wow. Yeah, Vegas is uh, is really happening again. And I love living here. It's a great place. Everyone wants to come and great place for business and for recreational activities also. Yeah, I can definitely say for me and Natalie, we're both really jealous that you get to live full time in Vegas because it's definitely one of our favorite spots worldwide. Yes. I am curious, do you find people, because we're still in Ontario here, we've just got the green light to start phase two of reopening, which pretty much means we can eat inside of a restaurant at limited capacity. We can get a haircut now, um, kind of those personal services uh, and... I think we can gather with five people. Yeah, up to 25 people outside, and I think maybe like five to 10 people inside now. Yeah, so the, the dynamic kind of between Vegas being open and us still being shut-ins makes me incredibly jealous. But what I was curious about is I find here in Ontario, everyone's just itching to get out. Is it kind of the same in Vegas? Are people still cautious or is it just kind of somewhat business as usual? People are flocking because they have a, the ability to flock there. I think it's business as usual on steroids. Uh, you know, we got, we were very fortunate uh, because of some of the investments we've made in the medical space that we got vaccinated early on. We were considered a uh, mission critical business. Uh, so we were, you know, I've got a home office, we've got a team and, and my wife and kids, we've all been vaccinated. We got vaccinated in January. Um, and I, I'll tell you, once you're vaccinated, you, you kind of just start looking at things differently. Prior to vaccination, I was always concerned, am I going to get sick? What will happen? I got a business, I'm responsible for a lot of people. Once I got vaccinated, those, those thoughts just evaporated. You know, you just don't think about it. I mean, you try to be cautious, but it, it's just, you know, it's just time to get on with your life. And and I think the numbers speak for themselves. You know, once you're double vaccinated, the likelihood of, of you getting sick is very low. But more than that, the likelihood of you ending up in the hospital with, with the, the problem due to COVID is, is very close to nil. So, um you know, we've been fortunate. I know Canada has been a little bit challenged. You, you haven't had as much vaccine. The rollout's been slower. The protocol's been different as opposed to what's been recommended by the FDA just because of the lack of doses. Uh, so it's been longer between shots. But I'm glad you guys are finally getting vaccinated on with your lives. Yeah, I can't say that any quicker. When we were obviously starting, when COVID started, and obviously we all had thought, oh, hey, we're in a, like a two-week vacation, three-week vacation, and jokes on us because obviously the situation was as far from that as humanly possible, or I don't even want to say that. Maybe it could have been longer, but this was long enough for all of us. Um, it really gave people that chance to evaluate and I think regroup. So now at this point, I think everybody's just getting antsy. It's at a certain period where people can't stay home anymore. People can't put a hold on their lives because pretty much that's, that's really what this was. And obviously a lot of businesses were able to adapt and regroup on their own in their own type of way, but a lot of people really couldn't. So I think that's great to hear that obviously Vegas is such a booming industry and it is a lot of like that entertainment industry as well, like restaurants, casinos, et cetera. So the fact that those are human interaction businesses, that's great that it's obviously not dying down because I'm sure a lot of people want to go to Vegas. Now. Yeah. I, I got to tell you though, at the height of the pandemic, it was just really devastating here for most people because we had the highest unemployment rate in the country. 
uh, play. I, I mean, there was a time when literally you could take a bicycle and ride, and a lot of people did, and ride it down the strip because there were zero, and I mean zero cars on the wow, strip. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy to think about. You're like dodging and, cars and, when you're in Vegas. Now there's bikes and nobody's getting hit. And, and debris because they weren't even cleaning up the road at one point. They barricaded all the casino. It was like a you know post-apocalypse oh. uh, movie. It was wow. terrible. I can't even fathom that. <laughs> Just trying to picture that now. I literally did put a comparison to like a movie or something like a zombie movie where nobody is outside and there's just like cop cars barricading the certain entrances. That is insane. Well, obviously there's been a lot of adapting as we've all said, but we're glad to see that it is ending. But there was a lot of positives that came out of COVID. And one of the things was your second annual scholarship. So you were lucky enough that there was over 300 applicants in both the United States and Canada. Maybe just some overall feelings about how successful it was. Well, you know, I, I got to tell you, it's been very emotional. Um, I, I did mm-hmm. not realize how impactful this would be. You know, the, the gal who won the top award um, had, has cerebral palsy and she actually called yeah. me because she couldn't respond uh, she wasn't capable with her tools to write a, a response on 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 her computer she she dictates her responses and it didn't work it wasn't compatible with her site you know and, and it, just to read some of the um, some of the, the the responses I mean the, the hardest part was not choosing more than all of them all the people mm-hmm. you know, because if, if I could, I'd like to give everyone an award, you know, and, and weaning it down to six, you know, three finalists and three alternates was tough enough. Um, I think what it's let me learn is, is that the need to increase and supercharge the scholarship, you know, I, my goal next year is to give away 100,000 with 10 scholarships or maybe 20. That's amazing. Yeah, I haven't decided. And then the year after that, I'm going to shoot for a million. Um, wow. So, oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. So, These are going to be some very grateful students. Robert. Well, I, I think the, the good work that we could do and help people that have needs, you know, is, is really, really important. So one of the questions, cause you definitely seem ambitious about helping students, um, especially those students kind of in need. What do you think is the most important aspect of this besides kind of helping someone financially? Like, uh, for example, it helps them achieve their goals. It gives them peace of mind. Like, what do you feel is the most important part of giving back? Empowering people to learn and to better themselves. You know, uh, I'm 67. I, I think in my, my head, I think I'm 37 or 32. But I, I'm, I'm 67. <laughs> and, you know, when I was in college, we didn't have the internet. We didn't have the toy. We didn't, you know, I walked 10 miles to school, right? The joke, uh, but no, we didn't have the, the tools. <laughs> I'll both ways. Yeah, right. We didn't have the tools that we have now and the ability to learn. In fact, in, in today's environment, today's society, I mean, if you want to learn stuff, you pretty much can. I mean, it, it, it and, and when I was in college, that was not the case. You had to have access to the right books, the right libraries. I mean, you know, everything is not online. I mean, you could always go to Google Scholar and read stuff. And, and a lot of the stuff online is not correct. I mean, there's a lot of misinformation and fake news. And, you know, who knows about social media? But I think 
the ability to empower people to continue their education, make something better out of their lives is really important. I, I think, you know, we have a gift, you know, life is short, it's transitory. I have a, I have a rule with our team. It's the rule of three, whatever we do, we want to uh, do good, have fun and make money in that order. You know, we're not doing all three. We're not going to do a deal. It's, it's important, I think, to to be that Boy Scout at the campground where when you leave, you want to make it a little bit better place. And I got kids, and so I want to do that for my kids, but I want to do that for everyone. No, that sounds amazing, and I think that's exactly what you would hope that those offering the scholarship and they're so willing to to help out those who maybe don't have all the same things that a lot of us were able to have when starting university, when starting college, or going towards our dreams and aspirations. I just want to go back to the response that you received from Derek Webb. So Derek Webb was the recipient from your first scholarship, one of the recipients, and he had sent an email just giving you an overview of where his life has gone since receiving your scholarship back in 2020. Yeah, it was really uh, touching. It actually brought me to tears. You know, um, it, was, it was just very heartwarming and, and, and actually made me more motivated, more compelled to, to increase, to ramp this, this, to supercharge this program up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For those who don't know. So in uh, the piece where Derek sent in, he was saying that with the funds he was able to receive, he was able to make an investment. Um, and he now was the president of his minority association of pre-med students and is working tirelessly to turn his dreams into becoming a pediatrician into reality. So even reading that now, he said he was recently selected as one of two students in the nation to be part of an inaugural joint research cohort for the John Hopkins U- uh, University School of Medicine. So that is obviously absolutely amazing and a great accomplishment. And I'm sure to know that you had a small piece and I'm sure a large piece based on his note, but to see his success now and to think for future students will continue to have that is an amazing thing for sure. Yeah, good for that kid. It's amazing to see kind of the the capabilities of just people in general. And it it's kind of sad to think of what could have stopped this kid had he not gotten the scholarship you know what I mean like it just Mm -hmm. shows what so many people are capable if they have the means to accomplish their goals and I think that's a really positive thing that you're doing here to help these kids for sure well it's just it's my pleasure to be able to help um so our next question here is do you think that COVID has kind of changed your outlook for the scholarships, meaning that um, we kind of need to help kids more, not only in scholarship revenue, but kind of other facets of it, like need to get kids laptops or equipment or stuff like that. Not necessarily you personally, but kind of as education goes generally. Yeah, I, I think COVID has had a big impact. Uh, you know, my, my I've, I've got... A daughter is 29, but I got two kids here, two boys, one 15, one 13. And they had homeschooling for almost the entire year. In the last month and a half, they went to hybrid program. And it was really tough on them. The, the younger kid did real well. The older kid had some challenges. But I, I think it just, it, you know, COVID has just let me understand how important education is. You know, of course, a lot of education is what we make of it. It's, you know... I, it's not going to school and texting your buddy or your girlfriend 
during a class. It's really, you know, how am I going to make the best of, of this opportunity to learn and grow and become better? If anything, it, it's, it's made me even more focused on growing the scholarship program so we could help more people. Definitely. So as you yourself started off as a student, uh, just starting to figure out what you wanted to do with your life, what would you say to your 20-year-old self then with all the information you know now and what you've been able to accomplish thus far? <laughs> Well, in retrospect, I would have done the mixed MD MBA program. Uh, you know, just because I do a lot of business stuff now, I you know I I would have liked if if that was available back then. It, it's not. There there are some M, MD PhD programs, but I that's what I I kind of wish I knew or learned more about business. Um, but that was stuff I just had to figure out on my own and uh, teach myself. Um, that's probably the only change I would make. I, I took school pretty seriously when I was uh, in my 20s and when I went to medical school. I feel like you'd have to at that point. If you've made it as far as medical school, I feel like there's no turning back. <laughs> you, you have to put all of your energy and effort towards it. Yeah, and, and and though I'm not practicing medicine, I worked for ten years as an ER and ambulatory care doc. You know, I use a lot of what I what I trained in and 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 my you know eagerness to learn about science or do science related things. And by the way, it's not just all in medicine or biotech or pharma. We do a lot of stuff in the oil and gas space because that's science also. So that stuff really interests me. So you mentioned that you started off in med school and in kind of the medical industry. What caused you to have a changing career path? Or was there a time where you kind of doubted this new career path? No, no. I, I, I always knew that. Uh, so I worked for 10 years as an ER and ambulatory care doc. And I, you know, it, what I thought I was getting into Chicago ER like you see on TV. That was the opposite <laughs> I was working in, in, in a lot of tertiary, you know, rural hospitals where you really were a primary care physician. And albeit that might be great for a lot of folks, it just really wasn't what I wanted to do. I, I just kind of felt stifled in my learning. And um, I ended up having a buddy who had a medical device company who needed help. And, you know, I started learning about finance then and it was a natural fit because I understood or was able to learn about whatever medical company or devices or things I was working on. And, and um, so that's kind of how that happened. And then there were just one, it was a point of no return after three years or five years, I think it was three years where, you know, I needed, cause you, in order to maintain your license, you have to get continuing medical ed education credits. And at some point I would have had to gone back and done a refresher course for a couple of months, three months or something. I just decided, you know, this is not what I wanted. I, I, dude, there was there was some ego involved, you know, but it was just, you know, time to move in another direction. But obviously, I'm sure there's been difficulties, as you mentioned, and hurdles that you had to overcome in your time in business. Is there anything significantly that stands out from the business side that uh, was a hurdle you had to overcome oh. that you can give maybe some insight on <laughs> and to help those kind of entering the field? Well, for sure. That's why I said if I had to do it over, I'd get an MBA. 
probably prior to going to medical school just because of what I do now. But yeah, I didn't, I didn't understand accounting. I didn't know how to read a financial statement. And, and that's really key to a lot of what I do right now. You know, I need to be able to evaluate a business and understand growth opportunities and marketplaces. I, I think that, um, you know, every, in every business and everything we do in life, there's bumps. I, you know, you just grow and, and want to become better and always improve. The Japanese use the word kaizen, you know, continual improvement. Uh, GE started Six Sigma, you know, which is being the best of the best of the best. And, you know, I, I think that's that's really what we always strive for. You know, we I've get, there, I work with really smart people, great character and integrity. You know, I'm always looking to, to meet and work with people that are smarter than me um, and, and always learning, always, always, always learning. Um, you know, so um, and, and this is going to sound really trite and it's probably part of my DNA and I just take it for granted. But, you know, I'm, I'm always looking to have friends that are, you know, you want to reach up and grow and, and, and climb up in your life, in your relationships, not down or sideways. So, the, you know, my friends are all really smart, really successful people. And, and who I could learn different things from. A lot of them are in different businesses, different careers. You know, the one thing completely unrelated to anything, but when you, <laughs> when you said uh, the Japanese word kaizen, there's um, an anime that's really popular right now, and it's called Jujutsu Kaizen. And it's this whole kind of like to be trained, to be disciplined, like not in a negative sense, but in like like the Marines, you're like top dog, you're completely like immersed in what you do. And then now it just made so much sense because I didn't know what that word actually meant. <laughs> and I was just I've never heard that word before. So we all learned something new today. <laughs> I was just sitting here going, that makes so much sense now. <laughs> That's my takeaway. But so you sound like a very busy person. And as Natalie mentioned earlier, you're definitely not taking the weekend off. But when you do have a moment to yourself, what's something that you like to do, especially being in Vegas? Well, you're, you're going to be surprised by my answer. N Natalie knows, might know my answer. Uh, there's two things. I can yeah, guess there's it. Two, there's two <laughs> things I really like to do. Well, three things I like to do. I, I like to read. You know, I read all the time. But I, I'll read like the Wall Street Journal or, st or stuff like that that I could, I could learn from. Um, and I, I find business fascinating, interesting. I love to work out. I try to go to the gym six days a week. And the other, my other two things are, are really season dependent. I love skiing. I skied 22 times last year. So I, I love skiing black or double black diamond runs, especially the moguls. And then my other passion, which only happened because of COVID, uh, is motorcycle riding. Um, I, I hadn't ridden a motorcycle in 30 years. And when we were locked down, the governor said, <laughs> exercise i took that to extreme i went i, I went to uh to zion which is three hours away and cathedral gorge which is three and a half and and bryce national park which is four and a half all amazing places and i'd see these these couples uh on the, these big old harleys these two-seater harleys i go man i gotta get one of those i was with my wife and, and so one of the very few businesses that was open was a harley um, was the Harley store. 
uh, you know, because they were essential business. And, and I, I couldn't even ride the bike because I didn't have a license, but they just started reopening the, the training course. So I, I, you know, I negotiated a deal to buy the bike, but I had to do the course. The course was two and a half hours. They put me on a 500-pound, 500cc Harley to train on, which I thought was the heaviest bike in the whole world. I was terrified. Did this two and a half hour, uh, two and a half day course, got it zero, which is a perfect score. And then they delivered my bike. I took it out in front of my house and and I have a cul-de-sac and I dumped it twice. It's so heavy, I can't even pick it up myself. I had to get help. Put it back in my garage. I was so pissed off. I was so angry. I thought, oh, I totally got ripped off. You know, and I, and I I bought it. It was really expensive, you know. So I got, <laughs> I'm in. I got the loan and everything. So it sat there for three weeks, and I thought, you know what? I'm not going to be defeated. And I found the former uh, police sergeant who taught all the motorcycle cops in Vegas for 20 years, and then went off for for 10 years to train all the uh, to do exhibition riding for Harley. I hired him privately. Worked with him for three weeks, and now I ride like a motorcycle cop. I ended up buying five five motorcycles. Good for you. Oh my God. <laughs> I, I, let, me, let me be clear. I only have three in my garage. I traded my Harley up for a new model, which had RDRS, which is a safety feature. And then I got a BMW K1600B, and I got a Aprilia Tona, which is a race bike. But then I... I had the Tona, which is a great bike, and I, I had that for about six months. And then I found this Ducati Street Fighter V4S, which was even faster. And so, you know, <laughs> I traded in the Aprilia for Tona. So I've got three bikes and bikes, I mean, motorcycles in my garage. And I just love riding. In fact, I went last night with my wife up to Mount Charleston, which is about an hour away from Vegas and 11,000 feet. So it's 10,000 feet higher elevation in Vegas and we had dinner. It was in Vegas it was eighty nine degrees at Mont Charleston it was fifty nine degrees, thirty degrees cold. Wow. Yeah. Wow, that is a significant difference. So you I, know, I I just love riding. Love riding. Yeah, no, that sounds super cool. I've been on a bike once and it absolutely horrified me because on corners my knees were way too close to the ground. <laughs> I didn't like that at Don't all. Don't look. <laughs> that's a yeah i would be too nervous i'd be like i cannot do this no chance thank you bye-bye <laughs> definitely scary dumb question though so why are they so heavy like to me that sounds like you're kind of going against like well that the, the harley's 932 pounds bmw 732 and the ducati which is a race bike is 382 uh so oh, the race okay. bike will go about 200 miles an hour the bmw go about 135 and that that's actually the same bike that cops use here um as well as the harley for that matter but the harley's heavy because it sits two people there's a tour pack in, in back that you can put you know luggage and stuff and then two bags you know plastic bags on the side so you can put all kinds of things in it which is why i like it you know, so if you want to go on a four or five hour trip and stay overnight, you got plenty of room to put your stuff. Even the BMW has two two bags on the side. Sorry, how fast did you say the one went? Two hundred and twenty miles. Two hundred miles. Two hundred. I uh, so I don't know miles, so I just no, had to well, look it well, up real quick. Um, what times? 
It's a uh, 321 kilometers yeah, that's an hour now. Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> I was like, wait, 130 kilometers? That's not crazy <laughs> fast. And I'm like, oh my goodness, that makes sense now. Holy, that's fast. Yeah. Wow. How do you take that out to a, a track then? Well, I'm assuming I, since, you since I'm be, being recorded, I'm not going to tell you how fast <laughs> I've gone. <laughs> but, but, I, but I can tell you this. Uh, I, I have, uh, I've broken it in. <laughs> Good for you. There oh, you go. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh my goodness. I respect that. Well, at least you're in finding new hobbies. You're enjoying yourself like everybody should be doing to not, uh, being too serious, not taking things too seriously. Enjoying the, I was going to say the little things in life, but those bikes are definitely not little. So, <laughs> all righty. Well, as we've chatted about numerous amounts of things, I think just kind of concluding what we've chatted about in the whole with the obstacles that you said you had to overcome and how in the beginning when you started your businesses, you weren't really sure of all the things that went into it. Obviously, that's a hurdle of its own to be able to have to either find experts or learn that information on your own. So what kept you going at that time, did you just have that motivation to just want to succeed or was it wanting to start your own business? What was that particular item? Well, it's just like with the Harley and dumping it and then, you know, being frustrated, but not giving up, <laughs> you know, by the way, that analogy is like getting your driver's license in a Volkswagen bug. And then your first car is a Mack truck. And literally that's the case. That bike is the probably the toughest one to ride. Um, but I, but I, I powered through it, but yeah, I, I think it's just a matter of being passionate and wanting to learn and really reading about people who have been successful and what they've done to be successful. And that's really been, been it, you know, and always, you know, and I've had some great business partners along the way, you know, always learning and looking for feedback. And, you know, sometimes you hear stuff you don't want to hear, but it's how you move forward in life. You know, that's a very motivational thing to say. And I was kind of thinking about it too. I'm 29 and I have my learner's permit for driving. And I had the same issue. I'm trying to learn on a Ford Ranger and it's just really hard. That's a, that's a tough one. That's a good yeah. <laughs> It's also got the extended box too. So my back end's like six and a half feet. It is not the best vehicle There's to no start There's no backup with. camera on but, there, is there? No, you you no, learn I, on that, everything else is going to be easy. You know, that's what I've been told. So I'm just hoping I can get to that level soon enough. <laughs> but uh, you'll get there. So we're definitely drawing towards the end of our episode today. And we've definitely covered a lot of topics. Uh, is there anything that you want to mention or bring to our viewers before we close it out? No, I'm, I'm just grateful to have the opportunity to to, to do this, to participate with the scholarship program, to give away the money to people who need it. And, and I'm looking forward to growing this and, and helping more, more students, more kids. Awesome stuff. Well, thank you for coming on today. We are so happy to have you. And I hope you have a wonderful day. You too. Thank you. Thank you.